tech writing is its own beast. And my advice for, for those looking to get into tech writing is find ways of, if they don't have the content already, to create examples to showcase their work. And that can be finding errors or poorly written copy out in the wild, in the real world, and editing it and adding that to their sort of uh, resume or portfolio. Welcome to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast, where Gowri Ram Kumar of Document 360 finds the best SaaS self-service knowledge bases in the world, and then interviews their creators. Let's get started with today's episode. Good day, everyone. Our guest today is Idan Englender, technical writer at Anaconda. Welcome, Idan, to the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Gary. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for your uh, time with us, Zidane. I know you, you've had a very busy schedule uh, and we've been trying to uh, talk with each other for a long time. But um, uh, just take me through your whole journey of how did you initially get into documentation, please? Sure. So I studied English writing and rhetoric in college. Uh, I always enjoyed writing growing up. And in university, I had multiple teachers say, hey, you'd be really great at tech writing. And it's a fantastic career to get into. The tech industry is, you know, very comfortable and pays well. And, you know, if you want to be a writer and not be broke, you should do this. And I said, okay, sure. Uh, and I quickly found that I, I really do enjoy it a lot. And I've been uh, at a few different uh, great companies so far, each one uh, more... Uh, more pleasurable than the last, uh, better, better culture and environment and, and, uh, teams have been great always. And sometimes I've worked by myself as well. So. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. I was just about to ask you how your education has helped you. So I know you have a BA in English writing and rhetoric, mm -hmm. uh, and a minor in uh, business administration, right? Correct. So how have these skills uh, you gained through your education influenced your technical writing career? I would say hmm, probably my approach uh, to writing documentation, the act of it itself, uh, knowing how to approach the question of what needs to be conveyed to end users, who the audience is going to be is a big thing. Mm -hmm. uh, often, I will be tasked with writing some form of help documentation and not told who the audience is going to be, whether it's going to be uh, another implementation engineering team or uh, lay people, as it were. And that makes a huge difference on how I'm going to write and, and formulate that content. Fantastic. Um, so just help me understand a little bit more about um, your documentation process at Anaconda and um, also how long you've been in the organization, please. Mm -hmm. uh, on Anaconda, I started in January of 2020. So I was in the office for a month and a half before we went, or about, about two months before we went fully remote. Uh, we've grown a lot since then. Uh, so that's been wonderful. Uh, sorry, the other question was? Uh, so what's your documentation process, uh, current process ah. at Tenaka? Yeah. So the process, normally, uh, I am part of the product team.
team, uh, mm-hmm. which works somewhere as a liaison between engineering, sales, marketing, uh, full, kind of the full planning and sort of the middleman uh, as well between the senior leadership team and our engineering endeavors. So I'll work closely with my manager, uh, who is head of product, to work through what our goals are, the big goals for the company, as well as how our goals on the team are going to play into those larger goals, what we call big rocks. And so the process will normally be, I learn of of either a new feature or some other other feature of what we're going to be trying to bring into specific product lines. And uh, I will set up time. There'll be various meetings, all the meetings uh, between engineers and uh, product and sales and learning about what the requirements are going to be for that product to to get up and running. Uh, And then it's a matter of gathering internal docs from, uh, from the engineers themselves, if they've written some internal docs as they're creating the feature. And those will usually be captured uh, either separately or, or uh, connect or you know linked in from uh, a Jira ticket that will be tracking all of our work. And once I've gotten that content, I can uh, start documenting it. Uh, I normally work uh, in Read the Docs and Sphinx uh, using VS Code as my uh, place of work, and uh, I'll get a sort of a, a rough draft out for them to review. And it will go through various uh, various review cycles with engineers, product, uh, implementation engineers will have a look, QA, and we'll go through all those and, and make sure there's nothing that needs to be revised. And then, yeah, eventually, when everyone's given the go-ahead, I can publish it. Okay, fantastic. Uh, that, that that sounds quite a lot to handle. Uh, so, uh, can I ask you how big is your team um, to do all these tasks, Ethan? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I am actually the only tech writer for uh, Anaconda at present. Um, so, yes, as as you point out, it, it is a lot to handle. It's uh, It can get tricky uh, and <laughs> the company knows it and we just had reviews come out and uh, various people across the company were saying, I don't know how he does it, how he's struggling between, you know, all of these different tasks between these different companies or different uh, product lines. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it takes a lot of um, kind of slotting time on my calendar, you know, putting heads down days of the week specifically for each product so that I don't uh, end up with my head spinning. Fantastic. And again, I appreciate your time in spite of this busy schedule. No, of um, course. <laughs> so how do you manage the documentation workflow? Uh, you did briefly touch base upon various meetings you have, but generally, how do you manage your entire documentation workflow, Vidan? My, How do I manage my documentation workflow? Yeah. Uh, as far as the writing the content itself? Or, uh, yeah, content-wise, and also uh, the entire process. Like, how how does it uh, flow through? Like, do you get involved right in the beginning of the uh, uh, product uh, dev, dev phase, or yeah, yeah when, so, when are you introduced, basically? <laughs> yes, so there'll usually be some planning, much higher level up, and senior leadership team determining what the goals for the company are going to be, um, and then there'll be various meetings between 
product engineering and those managers therein. And once uh, sort of these tech decks and uh, guides of, of various timelines that we're going to be trying to hit come out, engineers will start working on it. And then, then I'll eventually get into it uh, I, around the same time that the engineers start working on it. At least I'll become privy to what is going to be required from me. Though uh, it, it's always a, a process. Uh, I don't want to say a struggle, but it can sometimes be uh, really a matter of uh, getting my, my foot in the door and reminding everyone, hey, listen, this is going to be need, this is going to need to be documented and I need to have a full picture of what's going to be required for that. Uh, sometimes engineers will focus on the product and I don't blame them for that. Uh, but sometimes we'll, we'll forget to uh, gather that uh, intelligence around what is what that process will look like for the end user. And so uh, I'll usually get in early on when the engineers are working uh, on the product to remind them gently at first, uh, you know, keep in mind how the end user is going to be using this and what they will need to do so that I can properly convey to them uh, what that process will look like. Okay. Um, uh, you did mention that it's a documentation for, for your product. So how, what are the important factors you consider when creating software versus the hardware documentation? Well, uh, I haven't worked mm -hmm. in hardware for a long time. My, my first role uh, at National Instruments, I was on uh, embedded systems. It was a engineering, or it was a, it was a hardware team. And uh, I suppose with hardware, it was a lot more strict around uh, setting the timeline. I would have to work back, okay, this is the day we, we need to have it out. Work back this many days uh, for getting it printed in, our, in the factory that we had in Hungary and uh, backing up further to basically taking into account all of the separate reviews and time periods I would have to implement those reviews, the rough draft, the second draft and planning. Uh, so hardware was a lot more strict in that sense, whereas software at any point, really, if we're ready to, to release it, I can, I can publish. Now we do have, uh, you know, version releases for products in software, uh, but the, the, the documentation, if, if need be, I can release it a day before a day after, as opposed to hardware where my content would be in, you know, a little physical document that would need to ship with the product. So I would say that's that's the biggest uh, difference between hardware and software that I've, I've seen. Fantastic. And also you mentioned that you're the only one right now in Anaconda, but um, you were also the first ever technical writer for Amazon Publisher Services, right? Yeah, correct. <laughs> uh, so what was it like being the first professional in this area for such a large organization? Uh, it was... It was challenging. It was, you know, it was my first time not working in a team. Uh, so it was a bit bittersweet. Obviously, I had more say over, I had complete say over what my workflow and the process would look like for documentation, what tools I wanted to use. Uh, but also, it's tricky uh, being alone. I, I really, really value uh, that brainstorming you get to do with coworkers where you can hop into a huddle room and just hash out a problem with, with a fellow tech writer who understands everything you're thinking about that needs to be conveyed and, and 
you know, even down to just the sort of grammatical nuances that anyone else in the company won't necessarily care about because they're not a writer. But, you know, I'll start splitting hairs with the writer and, and it's it's really enjoyable doing that sometimes. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So that That's was absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you are the first person to set everything up, right? So it's a huge responsibility as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Super. Uh, again, uh, coming back to your background with uh, BA in English writing, and uh, you worked as an intern in areas such as journalism, writing and editing. So what I would like to understand from you is uh, any advices uh, you would like to give to writers who are wanting to transition to technical writing from from those uh, background, educational background? Sure. Yeah. I, I often uh, will go speak to uh, alumni classes at St. Edwards still, excuse me. And, yeah. um, what I'll, what I'll end up doing is, uh, you know, a lot of them are perhaps studying creative or general writing. There, there are a few different tracks at St. Ed's and there's a professional cr- creative in general. And a lot of these students that I'll speak to, perhaps they, they might have intern work in, in content that I've in, in the, in the same vein that I did of, of journalism uh, but tech writing is its own beast. And my advice for, for those looking to get into tech writing is find ways of, if they don't have the content already to create examples, to showcase their work. And that can be finding errors or poorly written copy, uh, out in the wild, in the real world and, uh, editing it and adding that to their their sort of uh, resume or portfolio. Uh, and even if they don't find anything good, any, anything wrong out in the real world, uh, to create their own errors or poorly written copy and, and, and correct that there. And so just as a way to showcase that they understand how to write well and to be grammatically savvy. That's, that's the biggest thing uh, I found at, at many places is, uh, Knowing they, they want to know that you know how to write well because a company can teach you about the product once you get there. You can learn on the job, uh, mm-hmm. and but it's it's not uh, it's not so easy to teach how to write well. So <laughs> coming in, knowing how to write well, learning about the product there, and also having an interest in technology. And it doesn't mean you have to be a full-on engineer. You're not expected to be so as a tech writer, but you can't be afraid to kind of dive in, to do your own research, to solve issues, to go onto Stack Overflow and, and learn something. Uh, finding you know opportunities, perhaps even coding classes, though that's not necessary. I, I know I, I did an eight-week uh, JavaScript and React.js coding class, and that alone just was fantastic for kind of being able to see code and not get scared of it, but start to understand what I'm looking at. And that is pretty invaluable. I mean, I've, after that, you know, I found there'd be times when I would speak to an engineer and say, Hey, is this right in the code? And they say, Oh, whoops, no, that's not. And you know, that's, that's fantastic when you can help other teams where you might think, Oh, well, I I'm just, I'm the writer. I don't have any engineering background, but you find ways to, to help out that way. And it's, it's great. So not being afraid to uh, of technology and not being afraid to learn that content and really familiarize yourself because that's what the job is going to entail is 
learning some pretty heavy stuff and figuring out how to convey that in more simpler terms. Fantastic. So it's a really great piece of um, advice and uh, how to approach um, the career path. Uh, it's a brilliant idea. Um, and also, I wanted to understand, given the vast amount of experience you have um, um, with big companies and um, the level of writing, uh, what has been the most important innovation when it comes to document tracking that you've experienced during your career? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> uh, as far as document tracking, well, as, as far as analyzing how the content is doing, uh for the clients uh there's oh what's it called uh i forget the acronym right now not ADUS. uh there is google analytics which mm -hmm. I, i use and that's fantastic um there's another system i'm blanking on the name right now but um it basically allows you to um use like heat maps and uh click tracking and understanding how something like hot jar is it yes yes exactly thank yeah. you mm -hmm. uh and that's that's fantastic for understanding how users are getting to the uh, documentation you get to see live like watching not necessarily live it's recordings but you get to see on the screen how these users are going about where they're moving their mouse and you can visually see like where they get stuck and say okay we need to change this around because they're obviously getting caught on, on this page of the website. And so that's super valuable. Uh, and then Google Analytics does share, it, it does shed some light uh, on how users will go about using documentation. I know for us, it's, you see they go in, it's, they're basically everyone's going straight to the install pages and maybe they're getting started. And then you can kind of see where other popular hotspots might be specific Uh, topics on maybe more trickier processes or processes that are specific to Anaconda, then we'll see that that action there. So it kind of aids us in knowing where to focus our efforts. Great. Super. Yeah. Um, so I think um, one last question I would like to cover in this general section is, so you, we spoke about your experience in Anaconda and what kind of documentation you're writing, but I wasn't clear whether your current documentation is uh, publicly available or is it behind a username and password only for your customers? No, no, it is public. Uh, you can see our documentation at docs.anaconda.com. Uh, that is sort of the top level and you can see how it breaks out between our Are different products. Uh, it's all all public at this point. Uh, there'll be some processes that maybe haven't gotten in yet that are still internal with uh, specific new clients who are requesting something, uh, some new feature that we don't have. And then it becomes, okay, well, you know what? This is something we need to have anyway. And we'll have some sort of internal doc that our implementation engineers will work with them closely to get up and running. And then it's, uh, okay, now that we got that Going, let's let's get this into the public facing docs because this is going to be valuable for all clients going forward. So it's it's sort of like a almost hackathon style where it's like, oh hey, this is actually a fantastic feature that we need to have uh, in our in our system and made public through our documentation. Fantastic. So do, do you know if you are generating any organic search traffic through your knowledge base or documentation? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking at Google Analytics, you see that the majority of that content is organic, in fact. Mm -hmm. 
it's, you know, it's many people who just go in and, and Google Anaconda. They're, they're told we, we have a lot of uh, students, for example, uh, studying data science or what have you. And their professors will say, Hey, okay, go uh, like first day, download Anaconda, uh, get on, get on. And, and so you see like just this wave at the start of the school year. It's, it's pretty funny um, of everyone just searching Anaconda download. And that's how they'll, they'll find our, our content is, is getting straight to the download pages and uh, installing Anaconda or Miniconda, uh, getting Navigator to have a kind of a nice GUI to uh, interact with the products. So yeah, it, it, much of it is organic. Okay, fantastic. Um, so I think we should move on to the rapid fire round now. Um, so let me ask you my first question. Um, who have you learned the most about documentation from in your career? So I would say uh, I have an old coworker named Amy Constant, uh, and I I asked her to be my mentor because she'd been a tech writer for a very long time and really had her stuff together. Uh, and I wanted to learn how to better manage and execute on my documentation processes because she just she came in and just her head was screwed on right and just managed everything and organized so well. And I, I asked her, I said, Hey, I, I pulled her into a room one day and I said, listen, would you be my, my mentor? Because I want to improve as a writer. This was one of my, in my earlier career. And she said, sure. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I would have once a week, a, a meeting with her to kind of discuss my processes, um, where my focus was, how I was going about my work. Uh, and it was so helpful uh, really in, in, in any career, but uh, definitely for me in tech writing, it was so valuable having uh, someone to look up to who knew what they were doing and being able to mimic and eventually uh, kind of morph into my own workflow for myself, how I would go about it. Okay. Super. And also, um, I'm sure you might be reading a lot of uh, contents in the web and uh, mm -hmm. through journals. So can you share a documentation-related resource you have consumed recently? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's this fantastic uh, article that uh, a friend had shared, basically about the documentation system. Uh, it's I think it's the, the, the Grand Unified Theory of Documentation by David Lang. And it's about how there is not this one thing called documentation. There are really four separate uh, sectors of, of documentation that are tutorials, how-to guides, explanation, and reference. And this has really changed the way I, I look at the documentation I write because I found sometimes uh, in, in, you know, at Anaconda especially, we're on the bleeding edge, uh, which is more than the cutting edge. The bleeding edges, there might even be problems out in the wild because it's just so new and fast paced. Um, and what ends up happening is my documentation will just be kind of a mishmash of explaining this content and showing people how to use it. And here's some reference content and it gets kind of messy. So uh, that's been fantastic. If, if anyone wanted to read it, I don't know if you uh, add links anywhere, but if you search documentation.divio.com, Divio has uh, a section just covering uh, this system, and it's fantastic. Uh, another piece that I read recently, actually, my my whole team and product team, and I think others outside of it read it, and we're all like, wow, this is so brilliant. Um, kind of about what uh, GitHub is doing with their documentation. And it's uh, 
It's an article, Maybe It's Time We Rethink Docs by Kathy Korvec. It's a Medium article. And it's just great. She kind of points out all the problems with, with tech writing sometimes, with, with, with technical documentation uh, that people run into of getting stuck or, or not having a hard time finding what they need uh, or having only one way of, of teaching how uh, content, uh, how, how a, a user can, can work with the product as opposed to having, you know, both uh, videos and, and guides and, and examples. And so that's been a really cool uh, article and a new way of, of thinking about how we want to form our documentation to be of, of better assistance to the end user. Great, super. And then my very last question to you for today is, what is that one piece of documentation related advice you would give to your 20 year old self? Okay, 20 year old mm -hmm. self, <laughs> yeah. so many pieces of advice. <laughs> uh, I would say documentation specific, uh, find a style guide that I would hold as my gold standard. Uh, because as, as I mentioned, I, I've been in these positions where the grammatical and stylistic choices were completely up to me, where, you know, at, at Amazon Publisher Services, I ended up creating a style guide, an, an in-house style guide. And I think starting out earlier, if I had locked in and said, you know, for example, a Chicago Manual of Style, this is what I want to emulate. This is how I want to go about documentation. And if I get to a company where they do it differently, that's fine. But having sort of a more... I guess, steadfast approach to how I would write documentation that I can stick to, that I can always refer back to as kind of a guiding rod or a Northern star uh, for, for documentation. I think that would really help uh, because there are times when you get kind of wishy-washy and say, well, do you want to do it this way or that way? And if I knew right off the bat, this is how we're going to do it. It's just, it would be better for me. It would be better in for the company and the team as a whole uh, to have that confidence to say, this is, this is a proper way of doing it. And here's why. Okay. That's great. Then, so did I miss to ask anything um, before we close this call? And again, once again, thank you for that uh, piece of advice. Uh, as you said, I've had so many advices from you, but if I have missed anything to ask, please let, please let, cover it now. No, I think that's it. And, and thank you again so much for, for having me. Uh, I know we, we had a little back and forth finally trying to get this time to work. So uh, I appreciate your patience with that. No problem. No problem at all. So once again, I appreciate your time today. And thank you very much for being a guest in this podcast. And uh, wish you all the best uh, for your documentation and also for building the team. I wish you well as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Knowledge Base Ninjas podcast. Please head to iTunes, rate, and provide honest feedback on the podcast. See you next week.